Thank you, Ryan. Church, Petaluma Christian Church, it is so good to meet you. And as, I've, as you've already heard, my name is Kelly Graham. Uh, thank you, Ryan, for the kind introduction. And thank you for the worship leaders this morning. I, I've led worship for 21 years prior to today. Uh, and so it means a lot to me to come here and be led by other people and to see it done well. And for just the service, I don't take that for granted. I did it for so long. Uh, now, before we get started with the most important part of what I'm going to say this morning, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about my family because I think this is fun. We arrived in Petaluma from Charleston, South Carolina about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and I'm planting a manual church, as you just heard. My wife's name is Carissa, and we've been married for going on 17 years. And so, um, Carissa we met when she moved to Charleston uh, because she is a native of Petaluma, believe it or not. And she went to VBS at this very church, which I think is <laughs> super fun. That now her, her husband's now preaching here today, so that's super neat. Um, and as long as we've been married, we've been visiting Petaluma, and we've had a heart for this city. And so uh, now, after all these years, the Lord has called us here. And I'm so thankful to know that we have like-minded brothers and sisters here at PCC that, uh, that we can reach this area with the gospel together. Uh, and I look forward to serving side by side with you in the kingdom for years to come. Now, I'm going to share with you a little story about my childhood to get us started, and then we'll get into the sermon text. But uh, when I was a little boy, my family would eat beef stew a lot. You know, we were not a well-to-do family, and beef stew was pretty cheap. You could just stick beef and potatoes and carrots in a crock pot, and out comes this slop we call beef stew. And my family would ser serve that beef stew over a piece of Merida white bread. I hated that meal. I didn't like it at all. Uh, I didn't want to eat it, particularly the cooked carrots. To this day, I can eat raw carrots all day, but cooked carrots just... They grossed me out. Uh, anyways, one day my dad brought home uh, for my family a box of chocolate-covered bananas on a stick, which is kind of a weird dessert, but that's what he did. And he never did that. And when you don't have dessert often, the thought of frozen chocolate-covered bananas on a stick sent my mind into the childlike grandeur only surpassed by Christmas Eve. And just like a lot of children, it took me oh, forever to eat my beef stew, and everyone left the table. But before my dad left, he said what any good dad would say, and he said, you can't have the chocolate banana unless you eat all your food first. So uh, 15 minutes went by, and I, you know, I, I saw the beef stew becoming more disgusting. It was cold. It was solidifying. And so I peeked down the hall one direction. And then I looked down the other direction into the den, and nobody was there, so I disposed of my uh, beef stew in the trash can. Then I went and told my parents I was finished, and they put the banana in front of me, and they walked away. And I saw that beautiful chocolate-covered banana on a stick, and I had this Edgar Allan Poe moment where, in my mind, the floorboards were creaking, you know, I could hear the beef stew mooing its disapproval from the trash can. And the grief of my childhood lies sent me crying down the hallway into my dad's arms where I told him all that I had done. And to my surprise, 
He gave me a hug and he told me he was proud of me for telling the truth. I still expected to get sent to my room or for my dad to take some leftovers and pop them back on some white bread. And in many days he may have done that, but this time he took me into the kitchen, he sat me down, asked if I had learned my lesson, and he gave me the banana. Now my dad didn't have to do that. There were other times when he was forgiving, but I still had to pay the consequences for my wrongdoing, but I can't forget how kind my dad was to me that day. And today we're going to talk about how God is a lot like that. When we confess our sin, God doesn't just let us off the hook. Instead, he entered our world. He pays the consequences of our sin himself, and he walks through our suffering with us. Now, I'm going to read Psalm 6. These are the most important words you're going to hear today because they are the inspired words of God. What I'm going to say is not, but hopefully it will help you understand these inspired words better. So I'm going to read from Psalm 6. Now, if you're not familiar with Psalms is, just go to the middle of your Bible, go just slightly left. It's a big book. You'll probably run into it. Psalm 6. I'll read this aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. To the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Sheminith, a Psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord. Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. It speaks truth to us in a way that nothing else in the world speaks truth. Lord, we are here in everything that we do, singing songs and hearing from your word. Everything wraps itself around this revelation that you gave us in the Bible. So I pray that you'd help me to preach preach it well today, to be faithful to the text. And I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Leave none of us untouched so that we can be changed and grow in holiness and grow in your likeness. I love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So I'm going to give you a little bit of educational background on this psalm because I think that's important for understanding the psalms. We know that from the top of the the psalm where the notes are that this psalm was written by King David. And we don't know the specific situation that he's praying about. But it could have been in reference to his argument with his son Absalom, uh, which put David in a pretty scary situation. But the main thing you need to know, despite whatever he's praying about that's kind of unknown here, the main thing you need to know is that the trouble David is praying about in Psalm 6 is the result of his own actions. And he's asking God for mercy. 
That's why this psalm is included in a list of seven penitential psalms where there's an expression of penance or repentance or turning from sinful actions and behaviors and then turning toward God and his ways. And as far as the structure of Psalm 6, you may not realize this, but all psalms have some sort of poetic structure. They're poetry. They're poetry meant for instruction, and they're poetry meant for relating to a God. They're models for us as believers for praying to a holy God who created us. And there are three simple poetic movements to this psalm. Number one is a plea for God's mercy and help. That's verses 1 through 5. Then there's a recounting of David's grief over his sin and his circumstances in verses 6 and 7. And then, there's, lastly, there's an expression of confidence in God in verses 8 through 10. And I'd like to draw your attention to a biblical truth that acts kind of as a, I like to give this to people because it's a good way of just kind of giving a thesis statement for what this psalm is about. And then we'll zoom in on the text from here. But our biblical truth, the main point you need to take away from what we're going to be learning today is this. God graciously forgives us and helps us even when our own sins cause our circumstances. You hear that? God graciously forgives us and helps us even when our own sins cause our circumstances. Amen? That's a pretty important truth, church. You and I, we collectively have the privilege of speaking to the holy God. And he doesn't guilt us over our sins. So let's start with the first movement of the psalm, and then we're going to walk our way through. I'm going to reread, because it's such a short text, verses 1 through 5. This is the first movement of the psalm. And I'm going to uh, read from this text right now, verses 1 through 5, where you can see it on the screen here as well. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled." My soul is also greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me for the sake of your steadfast love, for in death there is no remembrance of you, in Sheol, who will give you praise? So based on that, based on David's writing right there, what's our first supporting truth? Number one, when you confess your sins, be honest knowing that God is gracious. When you confess your sins, be honest, knowing that God is gracious. Right out the barrel, we see David's honesty. He knows what he's done wrong, and he knows that God hates sin. And in a healthy understanding of God's fearfulness and God's love, David begs God for mercy. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, he begs. How can we, as individuals and as a church, model David's honesty? I'll give you three ways. And I want to tell you, don't try to work on all of these ways at once. You'll get weary. If you find something in here that speaks to the way that you struggle in your prayer and your repentance, write that down and allow, it to, to allow yourself to work on it for a bit. So here's number one, A, let's say A, be honest about your sin. Be honest about your sin. David didn't ask God to condone his sin. He, instead, he confessed, he turned from it, and he asked God for mercy. So when I, when I read that, 
When we have found that we have sinned, is that our reaction? Do we only fear the consequences of our sin, or do we fear God himself? That's a good question to ask ourselves when we reflect. The answer to that question is very telling about our own hearts. Do we have a respect for God's power against sin and his hatred of it? David did, and this psalm is a model of repentance for us all. But David didn't only fear God. He knew God's deep love for him too. So there's a second thing we can learn to to be honest about like David was. B, be honest about your need. David confesses that he's languishing in his guilt and the consequences of his sin. And then this is what David prayed. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones and my soul are troubled. Heal me. My bones and my soul are troubled. He needed healing. David knew he needed healing, and he knew God could provide it. A little note on that. Isn't it true that when we're weighed down by guilt, that not only our soul is troubled, but even our bodies respond? God cares for every facet of your life, both spiritual and physiological, so you can freely ask him to meet your needs. We've all felt the uncomfortable consequences of our sins in our spirit and in our bodies. For example, when you made that mistake for the hundredth time that you said you'd never make again. Do you remember how you felt? Or when you've injured your relationship with a beloved friend or a family member? How many times have I done that? And when we've sinned in a way that we thought no one would know, and then everyone finds out more people are hurt than you ever intended. Or when you feel the guilt over your actions so much that it feels like you cannot live another day. So we look for the closest thing to dull our senses, like food or alcohol or inappropriate relationships. And when we turn to these things and not to Jesus, we're trying to find an anesthetic to dull our pain instead of asking God to heal us. Rather, ask God to help and lean into the church community. God will eventually grant us what we need, especially when we're honest with him about how much we need him. But in those difficult times where it's just, we just find ourselves waiting and we don't understand why God doesn't just step in. That's why David shows us that he gives us permission to pray with frankness. David cries, but you, O Lord, how long? So be honest about your sin. Be honest about your need. Be honest about your emotions. Did you know that you could say the words, Oh Lord, how long? And he receives it. He may not respond for some time yet, but he's not offended by the exasperated sigh, How long, oh Lord? God knows your discontent, and he knows your confusion. He wants you to express it to him as David did. And I'd recommend, respecting it, or I'd recommend expressing it respectfully, 
but by all means, express your distress and bewilderment to God. He cares deeply about it. So, when you confess your sins, be honest knowing that God is gracious. And one part of David's request here, just to kind of back up a little bit, shows his understanding of God's grace. He prays that God would save him for the sake of his steadfast love in verse 4. So David doesn't appeal to God on behalf of David's own good merit. He appeals to God on behalf of God's love for him. David knows what the, 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 that he caused his own problem here, and he knows God still gives grace for his need because God is loving. Let's read the second movement of the psalm, and we'll move on from there. This is verses 6 and 7 in Psalm 6. This is a very emotional passage. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes, my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. So based on that, in the second movement of the psalm, what's our next supporting truth? Number two, when you confess your sins, God cares deeply about your repentance. Why else would God allow this stanza about weeping and heartbrokenness in Psalm 6? Why would he allow this, this stanza in here? It's a model of prayer for us. How does Psalm 6 show us that God cares about our repentance? Well, we can see that A, God cares deeply about your sorrow over sin. And I've already said to be honest with God, so we're not going to linger here for long, but the reason you can be honest is that God cares deeply about how you respond to your wrongdoing, so tell him about it. God, or David wasn't manipulating God with crocodile tears just peeking through his fingers, wondering if he was fooling God with some display of emotion. No, David... David was writing about his deep and real emotional responses to sin. He was repentant. He was remorseful, ready to turn from evil. And God cared. And how else do we know that God cares about our repentance? We'll sit here for a little bit. Because B, God cares deeply about the circumstances that followed your sin. It's not something we think about very often, is it? We often just think, well, this is the consequence I pay, right? No. David's crying and his grief were over his sin and the consequences that followed. That's why David says his weeping is because of all my foes. His own sin stirred up his enemies against him. And this truth has big implications. The beauty of the Psalms is that they don't just address the quote-unquote theological issues like sin. Sometimes we like to treat it as a reference book that helps us know how to deal with things. But instead, the Psalms acknowledge the place where theology intersects with human experience. This is the beauty of the Psalms. This is David's heart cry. This is his real, actual experiences he's talking about. So God even cares about the circumstances caused by our sins, not just our sins. So we can lay our circumstances before God. 
knowing that he will come to our aid. Now, when, when I've gotten into an argument with my wonderful wife, Carissa, <laughs> because of my own sinful actions, I have cried over that sin, and I have hated the discord that I found in our relationship when I do these things. And this psalm gives me confidence that God has compassion on me and in the circumstances I find myself in. Now, here's an important truth. And if what I'm about to say to you is not a comfort to you, I suggest you meditate on it for a little bit. Because we can cry and we can lament and we can weep over our sin and circumstances until our bed is flooded with tears like David's and we can tell God how languished we are and the God of all creation walks right into your sorrows with you. How could this be? How can he possibly, the transcendent God, walk through my sorrows with me? How can he care? I'll tell you why. Because God the Son became a man and he walked the sin-filled earth to be tested and put through the ringer of human experience. And he experienced more than we ever have because he did not give in to sin like we did. He felt the full weight of sin's, uh, of sin's resistance and he prevailed, remaining sinless. And not only did he succeed in living a life that was completely, uh, completely uh, clean from sin, he can now relate to us on a heart level because of his experience. This is why we can confess our sins with tears before the God of all creation and know that he cares. I'll tell you why. Because he himself cried at the death of his friend Lazarus. How else can we know that God is not detached and heartless toward us in our sin? I'll give you a few reasons. Because he himself was afflicted and affected emotionally by the wages of sin, even though he had never sinned once. Because he himself was ridiculed and doubted and accused of things he never did, and yet he forgave his wrongdoers. Because he himself was betrayed and abandoned by his closest friends and remained their friend, even exalting them in history. Why can we have confidence that the God of all creation understands and cares about our confessions and our condition? Because he himself, as the book of Isaiah says, was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men would hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one from his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Church, 
Jesus experienced more than we've ever experienced. And more. <laughs> By becoming sin on the cross. He's not a detached God as we so often think. Yes, he is infinitely holy and he is transcendent, but he is also intimately close to us now by his Holy Spirit, which he gave at Pentecost, and who indwells his people. He comforts us because Jesus went before us and he goes through our experiences with us. Jesus cares about our grief and the impact our grief has on our mind, our soul, our body, and our emotions. So church, bring your sin and your sorrows and the consequences of your sin to Jesus. Now, <laughs> let's read the last movement of the psalm because this is a very different movement than the other two. This is verses 8 through 10. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord heard, has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. My enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So what can we gain from this? Our final supporting truth is this. Number three. When you confess your sins, you can be confident that God will forgive. Amen. Did you hear David's response after his plea for mercy and after the recounting of his grief in the first two movements? He says, depart from me, you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. And based on David's own life, the historical David, he knows God's history of patience and compassion and his unfailing response to David's own prayers. And so David declares, the Lord accepts my prayer in verse 9. And David presumes on God's hatred of evil. And with assurance, he states that his enemies shall be greatly ashamed and troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. He says it with confidence because David knows God will respond. David knows that God has forgiven him. And David knows that God will come to his defense because he's asked for mercy. And did you know, church, that when you confess your sin, God will forgive you? There's not a question in mind. When we ask for forgiveness, God forgives. And did you know that when you sin, God has already paid the ultimate consequences of your sin 2,000 years ago on the cross of Jesus Christ? Church, this is the good news. Forgiveness is ours. We have peace between us and the creator God. Our prayers are now heard. We were God's enemies. We were evildoers. But when you put your trust in him with your life, you are transformed by his mighty power and brought into the life-giving presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Behold, the good news of the gospel. This is what David himself was looking forward to with his entire life. David looks at the history 
of God's faithfulness to him and to Israel. And he is so certain of God's forgiveness and continued care that he even confesses it before others, before his opponents. So I ask you the logical question. Have you, have I, been so confident in the Lord's character that we've been talking about today that you would be willing to confess it before others? I'm not talking about a social media post. I'm talking about in your real relationships, in the time that you have with others who do not know Jesus Christ, are you willing to put it out there that you believe in forgiveness and in the gospel of Jesus Christ? David was given covenant promises by God. And David was standing on those promises. And if you are a Christian here today, did you know that God has made so many covenant promises to you. God has promised us justification before God. In other words, a reconciled relationship with our creator that we broke. You sinned, I've sinned, and Jesus died on the cross to pay for that sin. Jesus took our death for us on a cross, and he was pierced through his hands and his feet and from his side, spilling out his blood. And if you've been in the community of the church long, you'll know that we sing songs about that blood because his blood was pure and innocent, and it flowed through the veins of a man who never once sinned, which means Jesus is the only one who was qualified to die in our place. The covenant promise God gives to you and to me and to the church as a whole is eternal life. Life lived in God's very presence, the life giver, and forgiveness and power over sin and grace to cover the sin that remains. He even promised you his presence through your earthly suffering, not freedom from suffering, do not make that mistake, but his comforting presence is promised to you throughout your suffering. There are two great evidences that you understand and believe with your whole heart that God has forgiven you of your sin. Number one, it's your willingness to turn from sin. And number two, your willingness to confess trust in God before others like David did. At risk of ridicule, at risk of rejection, at risk of suffering. Because if we believe, we will confess our beliefs before others. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Christ is worthy. God graciously forgives us and helps us even when our own sins cause our circumstances. So run into your father's arms as I did to my earthly father and he will receive you with love and grace. If you want to know more about this forgiveness and having relationship with God, if you have not experienced this yourself, take Ryan aside, take me aside, take whoever brought you aside and ask them about it. Don't be afraid to do it. And I'll just say one more thing before we finish up. 
So this is a, a really interesting truth that when you look at Psalm 6, you can see very clearly. Do you see at the end of the psalm, Psalm 10, or verse 10 in, in Psalm 6, David says that his enemies will be troubled. At the beginning of the psalm, David says his own body and his soul are troubled. After he has confessed his sin and he takes his plea before God and proclaims confidence that God's promise to forgive is real, it's no longer his own bones and soul that are troubled. It's his enemies. This is the great reversal of our hearts and our lives when we confess our sins before God. So can I encourage you to bring your sins, bring your sorrow, and bring the consequences of your sin and lay them at the feet of Jesus. The truth of the gospel instills confidence in God. Trust in Christ enough to confess your sins because Christ is worthy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for so much hope. Psalm 6 at face value looks like such a depressing subject because David has sinned and he's weeping and he's confessing. But God, when we look at this in light of the gospel, we can see that there's so much hope here. That we can bring all of our sins and our sorrows before you and you care and you have paid for the consequences. You have paid for the sins of your people. And that gives me so much confidence to turn from sin and to confess you before others. To help us to be faithful people, faithful ministers of the gospel. Because each one of us are entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So help us to be faithful with it and help us to believe it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.